The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 14th chapter. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I am going. And Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said, Have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. But if you do not, then believe me because of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works I do. In fact, they will do greater works than these, because I am going to the Father." And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Father may be glorified in the Son. And in my name, if you ask for anything, I will do it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you may be seated. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you call us to be your people And the place that you have prepared for us is in your heart. Let us dwell there with you. In Jesus' name, amen. John 14. Most of you know it as a funeral text, right? If you never, ever not heard John 14, it's done often. And it's a fitting story. God has prepared a place for us. If you go back to the King James, it says God has prepared a mansion for us to be in heaven with him. A promised place, a promised time, and a promise most of all that that dwelling place, that mansion, is God's self. The promise is that Jesus will be there with us. So the point of the text, other than for a funeral, the point of the text is we are never left alone. We have a place that is God in our hearts and we, first of all, 
we are in God's heart and God loves us. We're in the season of Easter and this text kind of just hangs there by itself. It's not a normal Easter text. The story takes place in the upper room on the eve of the crucifixion. Jesus is about to be betrayed. Later on, he will be abandoned. He will be handed over to temple guards. He will be tried. Then he'll be insulted and then beaten and then nailed and crucified on a cross. That's all pre-Easter, we think. So what's, why did the lectionary people pick this for Easter? Why on the eve of crucifixion did all of this happen to Jesus? Was it to appease the righteous anger of a just God? Was it an example of what real faith looks like? Was it just punishment that we deserved? I think each of those are valid. But the real point of having this text in Easter is to show us God's love and God's grace. To show mercy. To show love. To show how far God himself would go to show us love, that we might believe and in believing have life eternal in the name of Christ. So the Easter part of the story is that Jesus points to the Father and the Father is in him and he is in the Father and that's the relationship. That's the place We sometimes call it heaven, or a mansion, or many rooms. But the place is really the relationship, the importance of knowing Jesus. That's why those I am statements are so important. The disciples are connecting the dots and learning who this Jesus is. He says, trust God, trust me. We would probably hear those words better if we heard them, keep on trusting me. Peter betrayed Jesus, and Jesus says, keep on trusting me. Don't worry about the chaos in our life today. Just keep on trusting me. And then he gives a promise. And the promise is that you will do greater works than these. All of the works of Jesus that in this text point back earlier in John, all of these actions, the healings, the feedings, the preachings, the I am's, 
all point to a story. And then Jesus says, the story's not over. You're going to do greater things. So are greater things done today in the name of Christ? I think if we look in the broad picture of things, the answer is yes. Take one example, healing. Christ healed a number of people in the gospel lessons. How many people, how many Christian people have aided in the healing? How many Christian nurses, how many Christian doctors, how many Christian scientists that have worked to make healings happen? And there's the other side of that story. We pray that we will do greater works and then our prayers are not answered or out of the chaos of our life we don't see God working. When we have prayed and and the prayers appear not to be answered, We have had faith and our hearts have been broken and we appear not to have God's help with us. We appear to try to trust in Jesus and it apparent failure on Jesus' part. So how do we handle that chaos? How do we handle that disappointment? We handle it because God has promised a relationship with us no matter what is happening to us and no matter what we are praying. God promises to be there. That's part of a relationship, isn't it not? When things are tough and you work Together, God and you and the other person. That honest reflection and complaining to God about our confusion, about our lack of power, about our frustration. God's there. We have examples of it in our life. When we were students or when we are a student and we are frustrated with our parents or our teachers because things aren't going like we want, most of the time there is still a trust of relationship in that learning event. When spouses cause chaos, there is still the hope of a trusted relationship to pull things through. And when we have to deal with bureaucracy in all of its stupidity, we still have a trust that the right answer will happen. 
So for many of our human experiences, trust is not destroyed. In many of our relationships with God, that trust is not destroyed. Because God loves us. God takes delight in us. God likes to see what creative things we do. Greater things than these you shall do, the text says. But there might be two limiting factors in that. One is that those requests made to God are made in the name of Jesus. That means asking for what Jesus would want us to do. And that may not be what we want to do or want to ask. The second thing is our request to hear Jesus say, I will do it. We have to look at the life of Christ. And when God the Father asked Jesus to do it, he did it. He glorified the Father. And that glorification was the cross. And so when we pray this prayer, are we willing also to glorify the Father? Are we willing to deal with the cross? Sometimes I think we would back away from that prayer. And there's the last promise. Jesus promises that when he leaves, he will send the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will give us power. Power of faith. Power of the gifts of the Spirit. Power of knowing that God pulls us into a relationship. There's a story about Judas who betrayed Jesus. I like the beginning of the story and I like the end of the story. The middle part, it's there to hold the top and bottom together. So theologically, don't ask me to explain the middle because I won't. So Judas betrayed Jesus, the legend goes. And then he committed suicide. And Judas found himself at the bottom of a deep abyss. He laid there for a couple of centuries. And then he began to look around. And he saw a light above him. And so he began to climb. He would climb and sometimes he would fall. And he would climb and sometimes he would rest. And he would climb After a couple of millennia, he came to the top of that abyss. And he found himself in the upper room. And there was a young rabbi having supper with his friends. And the young rabbi turned and greeted Judas with his face glowing with pleasure. Judas, he says, welcome home. 
We have been waiting for you. We could not continue the supper without you. God's love is always waiting for us. In our abyss and in our misery and in our futility and in our chaos, God is waiting for us to bring us back into that relationship that he has created. And we need Christ to do this. For you see, God is too much. Too much to bear. Too much holy. Too powerful. Too infinite. Too full of potential. Too full of life. Too full of future. For in e for any mortal to behold and live. But the good news is, through Jesus Christ, we and God are one. Amen.